is nothing more sacred in our republic than the fundamental democratic principle of one person, one vote. It is our duty to ensure the sanctity of U.S. elections. That includes ensuring the security of voting systems. The intelligence community's role is to identify threats and to assess the intentions, capabilities, and actions of foreign adversaries. Welcome back to the Gate 15 interview as we prepare to turn into the final corner of the 2020 election season. I'm very grateful today to be joined by two outstanding leaders to discuss the 2020 elections and security. My name is Andy, and I'm here today talking with Al Murray, currently serving as the Assistant Special Agent in Charge over Cyber Investigations at the FBI's Washington Field Office in the Washington, D.C. area, and Ben Spear, Director of the Elections Infrastructure Information Sharing and Analysis Center, or EI-ISAC. Gentlemen, thank you for making time to come together today and talk about these issues. It's pretty amazing that we're here right towards the end of the election season. So grateful to have you join the line today to talk about, I think, some important issues for security leaders as well as Americans of all interests. So would you like to take a minute just maybe introduce yourselves? Al, if you'd like to start, and then Ben, maybe you could follow. Yeah, like you mentioned, um, I'm the assistant special agent in charge of the WFO's uh, cyber branch. Uh, I've been with the FBI for a little over 15 years now, and I'm, during the majority of my career, I've worked uh, both criminal and national security cyber investigations. Um, prior to joining the FBI, I was a corporate investigations consultant, which means I traveled around the world and stayed in fancy hotels, which I no longer get to do. Um, and also, I'm from Kansas City, Missouri, so I'm a really big Chiefs fan. Um, and then I have an engineering degree from Duke University. That's a great background. Thanks for your service. And, and I think everybody's a Chiefs fan these days. I think my, one of my sons and I were ribbing my wife. He goes, I think, I think I like the Chiefs. I've been married to her for over 20 years, and she's never had a football team where Eagles, Lions, and Redskins are Washington football team fans in this house. So my wife has been torn, and so I think she's getting on the ever-popular and growing Chiefs bandwagon out there. So good luck to you guys this season. You look really good again. Thank ben, you. you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks, Andy, for having me. Uh, unfortunately, uh, this season I, I'm a Giants fan, and we're not having that great of a year. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm the director of the Elections Infrastructure ISAC, uh, as Andy mentioned. Uh, and what uh, we provide is uh, no-cost cybersecurity services to uh, state and local election offices uh, with the support of the Cyber Security and Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA, DHS. Uh, we provide a 24-7 security operations center, uh, as well as uh, incident response and uh, threat intelligence specific to the elections community. Uh, and it really builds on something that we've done for 20-plus years as the multi-state information sharing analysis center, the NSISAC, for all state and local governments. Uh, and, and that's something that we're really proud of uh, to be able to bring the folks. Uh, before I led the, the EIISAC, I actually was an intelligence analyst. Uh, with the MSISAC, I've, I've been here with the ISACs for uh, just over seven years. Uh, and prior to that, I actually had a, a role in developing active shooter training for uh, law enforcement in, in New York State. And so uh, come from a background of public administration and uh, homeland security from a degree perspective and, and happy to be here. Ben, thanks so much. Really appreciate that. I really value your colleagues at at CIS and MSISAC and, and what you're doing now today. I get to work with you guys and uh, as colleagues if you're through different things that we do together. So really appreciate that and all you guys contribute to our mission, especially you know, right now today as we talk about the importance of elections. So gentlemen, please bear with me and to listeners, please bear with me. I, I always tend to talk way too long, but just want to put some framing on our conversation. So today we're going to cover a few areas, including recent election history and security issues, threats to the upcoming 2020 election, a little about what to expect on election day and maybe a little bit after that. And then we'll wrap up with some final thoughts from both Ben and Al. So to start with some recent election history, I wanna start with a quote from the 2nd of October in a piece written in USA Today by, <clears throat> excuse me, by several former DHS secretaries, including Mr. Chertoff, Mr. Johnson, Ms. Napolitano, and Mr. Ridge, our, our first DHS secretary. And there they stated, I'm quoting, as former secretaries of Homeland Security, we know that seeds of doubt will continue to be sown during the remaining weeks of this election season and after it, at home and abroad. It is our duty to stand up in a bipartisan fashion to reinforce to the American people that the security of our electoral system will remain and the strength of our democracy will endure. And I, I really appreciate that. I certainly stand by and believe that. This is and will be a challenging election, 
but I believe America, our people and our systems, I believe in us and I believe in what we're trying to do. We've endured challenges in the past. And so maybe we can start with a little bit of framing about the past. And as I do, I just want to be sensitive to the realities of where we are and talk about where things are now. So with a little bit of perspective. There's been a tough year in, in so many ways and a tough election season for the candidates, for the public, and in terms of security in a lot of ways, too. So as a voter, we're dealing with a lot of challenges, so much we're going to discuss from the pandemic um, to health concerns, anxiety or physical security and polling places, and some of the things we're not going to get into as well. And it seems like a lot to a lot of people that are probably listening in and a lot of voters out there. So just recently, of course, on the 21st, the announcement was made attributing some election meddling to Iran and with additional concerns raised about Russia targeting state and local networks. Uh, some information just released about that yesterday. I'll include that in the notes that go along with today's recording and the blog post. So while this is all getting a lot of attention, you know, there's a lot of media coverage on these things, this certainly isn't the first time our elections have occurred with security challenges at the same time. For example, in his remarks to the Senate on 17 September, and I'll, I'll reference that here in just a little bit, FBI Director Ray talked about the lessons learned from both the 2016 and 2018 elections. So can we start there, John? Can we just put a little bit of historical context on what some of those threats were and some of the lessons that we've learned through some of those recent elections? And Al, if it's okay, we'll start with you. Sure, thanks. So I'd say in 2016, around that time frame, we really didn't understand the role of social media as a means of, I would say, malign influence of how we could be utilized to influence Americans. We didn't really understand how quickly a single tweet or a post could be spread to millions of people and how innocuous this form of influence can be. Um, we also learned that um, since 2016, we have to ensure that we're notifying the right people at the right time about potential threats. The FBI has always been pretty aggressive about notifying people of election threats. Um, but I think really what we've done is we've become more aggressive in that. Um, so in, I would say in 2016, um, Really, we normally notify um, cyber threats to infrastructure owners and operators. In 2016, that meant we were notifying local election officials. We thought those officials were briefing up to the secretaries of state, but in reality, that wasn't consistent across states. This caused some issues at the state level because they were unaware of potential threats in, in their state. Um, so what we've done is we've changed our, our election notification policy, and we now notify local election officials as well as the senior level state officials. All of this now requires better engagement between our, our government and our elected officials, and we work very hard to ensure that we have this coordination set up. In 2017, Director Ray created the Foreign Influence Task Force, which is currently known as the FITF. The FITF brings together the FBI's national security, cyber, and traditional criminal expertise under a single umbrella, all with the mission of preventing foreign influence in our elections. This task force better enables us to identify connections across all of our investigative programs. We're also now coordinating closer with our partners and leveraging new relationships in the technology sector so we can quickly relate threat indicators to companies so that they can make and take action. As you mentioned, Director Ray explained in his testimony, following the 2018 midterm elections, we re-examined the threat and our response to that threat, and we decided it was necessary to expand the scope of the FITF. Previously, the FITF uh, primarily focused on threats from Russia. Um, utilizing the lessons that we've learned over the past year and a half, we've expanded the FITF's uh, role to address malign foreign influence from China, Iran, and other adversaries as well. Director Ray also explained that our efforts are based on a three-pronged approach, which includes investigations and operations, information and intelligence sharing, and a strong partnership with the private sector. We believe through our efforts of the FITF and the lessons learned from 2016 and 2018, we're now better prepared to disrupt these um, in future election threats. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you very much, that, Al. Appreciate the background, the context there as far as what you're doing at the, the federal level and working with partners in the state and local community and the private sector as well. And that's a great way to turn things over to Ben, because, Ben, you're looking at this with a slightly different perspective, a slightly different lens as you work hand in hand with state and local partners. So could you share a little bit about the historical context and threats as you've experienced them from the EIISAC? Yes, yeah, certainly. I'd be happy to. And we, and we certainly uh, had a lot of 
um, insights into sort of the activity that was identified in 2016 uh, and was outlined in, in the Senate intelligence report on, on the Russian interference overall. And when we, similar to sort of Al, where they, they looked at the conversation briefing the locals, we, we had a similar instance where as the MSI SAC at the time, the EII SAC didn't exist uh, yet. Uh, our primary contacts were the state IT, enterprise IT leadership, uh, CIOs, uh, CISOs. And what we learned from that uh, after 2016 is that a lot of state election offices are actually constitutionally distinct. And so they have their own CIOs, CISOs. They do not leverage, in all cases, the uh, networks of, of the state at large. Uh, and so that similarly, uh, we were pushing communications to, to the state but that wasn't necessarily going to be election officials. Um, certainly, one of the things that we were able to do um, was we were provided indicators of that activity, and uh, we do have a, a nationwide network of sensors monitoring all state networks. And so we were able to review those to see that activity that might have been identified uh, to notify folks to do further investigation. Now, there was nothing else identified in 2016 beyond what was uh, publicly known regarding Illinois and, and their um, compromise at the state level. Uh, but it was a testament to our ability to work with folks to to try to pass that information along. And so due to that communication breakdown that I mentioned at the state level, that sort of is what was the impetus for the EIISAC being formed, to bring that information direct to the election officials and also not just to the IT folks, but but to the uh, the individuals who were responsible for conducting and executing elections and educating them about cybersecurity concerns. And so... Uh, we were sort of stood up for that purpose. And uh, while cybersecurity was a concern in 2016 and previously, I think a lot of those conversations were having happening at the state uh, or with amongst locals. There wasn't a lot of cross-collaboration and cross-pollination of those practices and information uh, nationwide. And so really having the ISAC allowed us to bring to bear that reporting of information up uh, through a single point to uh, analyze that information and report it back to the community as a whole so that everyone can benefit as well as provide that information up to the federal space. So we have very close partnerships, as I mentioned before, with CISA. We also have a very close partnership uh, with the FBI's uh, Election Security Working Group uh, in their cyber division. And so uh, with that, we've been able over the, the past two to three years to develop those relationships, provide additional network monitoring specific to the elections community, uh, and also to provide uh, additional services from uh, secure DNS and other types of endpoint protection to get further granularity into what those threats might be and also have the ability to not just detect them, but to prevent them and, and block them from occurring. And that was, that was certainly a great tool. And I think it's also important to note the steps that election officials themselves have taken over the last few years. Uh, they have with monies from Congress, from monies from their own state legislatures and, and councils, town councils and city county councils, have taken additional steps uh, to improve security, to build that defense in depth. Um, and so they have a lot of information, they have a lot of tools to bear as well now to identify and detect this type of activity going forward uh, in a way that I think makes us, as uh, Director Krebs has said from CISA in the past, uh, the most secure election uh, we've ever had. And I really appreciate that as well. I mean, both of you described sort of this, it might not seem rapid, but if you think about in reality, rather rapid learning and growing experience at the state and local level and sort of the federal level as well to react to our increasingly connected environment, the new threats that we're facing, the challenges Al talked about, the social media and how, you know, a viral tweet or something else that sort of gets attention can just quickly sort of change the dynamics you know, in our elections and what people are hearing and understanding. So some really great points we made, and I really appreciate that. Just for clarity, for those that are listening, um, I don't know if we said earlier, MSI stack stands for the multi-state ISAC, and CISA, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, a component uh, within DHS. We don't have DHS on the line today, but certainly there's been a lot of education and growth in DHS, and some great um, resources have been made available. And again, I'll include that in the blog post that accompanies this podcast. There's been a tremendous amount of information coming out of uh, DHS and the FBI uh, just being put out there to help people understand the threat environment and the proactive steps that are being taken to mitigate the many threats. And so let's let's get into that. Let's talk a little bit about threats. And again, I ask you to bear with me. I'm going to speak for just a moment here to sort of put some context on the threat environment they're looking at. So 
Let me go back to Al's boss, who I'm a fan of here, Director Ray, um, speaking on 17 September in a discussion titled Worldwide Threats to the Homeland. The, the U.S., um, I'm sorry, the, in the U.S. House Homeland Security Committee meeting, when, when they invited leaders from DHS, the FBI, and the National um, Counterterrorism Center to speak to threats facing the United States. And Director Ray was speaking, and he said in his comments, our nation is confronting multifaceted foreign threats seeking to both influence our national policies and public opinion and cause harm to our national dialogue. The FBI and our interagency partners remain concerned about and focused on the covert and overt influence measures used by certain adversaries in their attempts to sway U.S. voters' preferences and perspectives, shift U.S. policies, increase discord in the United States, and undermine the American people's confidence in our democratic processes. Foreign influence operations, which include covert, coercive, or corrupt actions by foreign governments to influence U.S. political sentiment or public discourse or interfere in our processes themselves, are not a new problem. But the interconnectedness of the modern world, combined with the anonymity of the Internet, have changed the nature of the threat and how the FBI and its partners must address it. This year's election cycle amid the COVID-19 pandemic provides ample opportunity for hostile foreign actors to conduct disinformation campaigns and foreign influence operations in an effort to mislead, sow discord, and ultimately undermine confidence in our democratic institutions and values in our government's response to the current health crisis. And certainly, the announcement just made uh, with Director Ray and with DHS and, and DNI um, about Iran meddling, we've seen this play out in, in real time right before our eyes in a rapid um, attribution made by our government. Prior to that, and since then, uh, the, the, the Director Ray's comments, the FBI and DHS, the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA, as Ben has mentioned earlier, have put out a host of elected-related information. I'll include a long list, as I said earlier, um, in the blog post that accompanies this, but some of the topics that were discussed include disinformation, threats to the voting process, election crimes, false claims of hacked voter information, and concerns about distributed denial of service attacks, or DDoS attacks. And beyond government, companies from Microsoft to Malwarebytes have chimed in as well. Reuters reported that the Biden campaign had been targeted by Russians who had previously targeted Hillary Clinton, reports of expected disinformation operations, and all sorts of other things about the voter databases and otherwise. So with all that, again, thanks for your patience. But let's, let's turn back to you, gentlemen, and start with your biggest concerns as we head towards Election Day in this final stretch before the 3rd of November. And in the days after Election Day, you know, the possibility of maybe an undecided election immediately on Election Day it might take a little time to sort through uh, all the votes. And so there's some ample opportunity for adversaries to sow discord and cause confusion and do many of the things that Director Ray talked about affecting the American population. So what are you focusing on? What are you most concerned about? as we go into this final stretch. And Ben, why don't we start with you? Yeah, no, my pleasure. I, I think that, first of all, you covered a lot of it very well, um, but I I would say as, as we're looking into now the, the, the final days before the election, uh, the, the biggest concerns we have uh, from a cyber perspective in particular are attempts to gain access, um, but also attempts to disrupt. And, it's less so a, a risk of a particular state actor. Um, there's been a significant increase over the last few months of ransomware activity in particular that has impacted uh, entities that has been transferred through managed service providers, through third parties and, and other trusted connections uh, that is a primarily cyber criminal threat. Uh, but the concern is that at some particular key deadline, whether it's voter registration, uh, ending or early voting starting or the counting beginning uh, at any of these potential critical points, the ability of a ransomware by a cyber criminal to opportunistically impact uh, a county or, or a state and indirectly uh, cause impacts to the election offices. Uh, that is one particular concern that we're thinking about from a disruption perspective uh, in particular. Uh, and in terms of of the overall threats um, there. Most people, when they, they think about the cyber piece, um, voting machines themselves are, are mechanical uh, and, and computerized at this point. However, they don't connect to the internet themselves. Uh, the vast majority of the systems that we call non-voting systems, e-poll books, um, voter registration databases, these systems may have uh, online connections. In a lot of cases, the version that is connected to the internet is not the authoritative copy. There is uh, practices in place to prevent the authoritative copy 
from being compromised. Uh, and so there's checks that go into place if changes are made and things like that. Uh, but however, that is sort of the, the place that we think of as, as areas of concern um, for, for both disruption and for the attempts to gain access to that information. Uh, now, certainly a lot of that information, as has been stated in a lot of the communications from CISA and the FBI, uh, are publicly available data. They are actually public records. Voter registration records in, in states are either available online by default or they are available for sale. And that's so that campaigns and other organizations are able to gain access to registered voters uh, and, and communicate their message and things like that. Uh, I do think as we move into the post-election period, uh, that is something with all these new processes and components in place uh, to, to do so, uh, as we see a potential for an election that is an election week or an election month, as some have, have described, uh, the possibility for those types of uh, communications about what's going on uh, being uh, influenced into the environment from there, uh, in particular from external actors, but also from just the general public. A lot of the general public doesn't understand the, the common processes that we would consider those in the election industry uh, voting, uh, related to voting, uh, that the regular voter doesn't understand. And so having a trusted uh, communication platform as election offices is, is a great tool that they've used to educate voters uh, about this threat, to pay attention to only those trusted sources of information. Because even just uh, a matter of, of what we've seen with these new processes, um, someone posting on Facebook about a particular rule in their state, well, they have friends in many states, and some friend may see that post and believe it applies in their state as well, but each jurisdiction has their own rules and, and requirements, and so that may not be the case. And, and so we have that concern as well from a, a dis and misinformation perspective. Ben, I really appreciate that. Thanks for sharing that perspective. And just, I think it's important to note that these aren't just sort of theoretical concerns. We've seen some of this you know, play. I've already seen disinformation operations. Certainly, if um, anybody has curiosity on the background of that, you can you can hear the, the interview I got to do two months ago with friends from FireEye and the CTI League talking about disinformation and misinformation. It's certainly out there. And I'm, I'm looking right now, Recorded Future just recently talked about uh, an October 7th ransomware attack on uh, Hall County, Georgia, that disrupted critical systems for their elections infrastructure. So this isn't just theoretical. We know there's, there's actual attacks being conducted. The adversary, be it foreign or domestic are, are trying to infiltrate election systems. This is, this is real stuff that's going on in our environment today. So appreciate all those concerns and the reality of the threats you're, you're thinking about and trying to mitigate. So really appreciate that. Now, I'm sure you've got some additional perspective. What are you looking at from your vantage point? So um, I guess from the FBI's vantage point, I mean, malign foreign influence, um, you know, foreign actors interfering and looking to, to uh, cause discord amongst Americans is still one of our biggest concerns. Um, we're also looking into addressing voter fraud. Uh, this was, will be a political hot point with a lot of politicians claiming voter fraud most likely was the reason they won or lost. Um, and we'll need to be able to quickly address those instances. And we're also looking at ways to prevent cyber attacks against uh, state and local governments, which was mentioned earlier. Um, this could really impact the people's perception about the integrity of the election. Um, we're addressing malign influence, as I mentioned earlier, through the FIDF. Um, we're also working, again, with our government partners um, and social media companies to share information so that they can disrupt um, any activity from foreign actors or criminal actors or whatever is necessary. Um, we've also utilizing um, outreach to campaigns via initiatives that we've partnered with ODNI and DHS on, such as Protective Voices Campaign, which provides political campaigns and organizations with tools and resources to help them protect themselves from foreign influence and other cybersecurity threats. Um, We've also seen a variety of activity targeted at state and local governments. Um, in particular, as we get closer to Election Day, these activities, again, as mentioned earlier, these could render some systems temporarily inaccessible to the public or election officials. For instance, a DDoS attack could prevent um, a website from being displayed, which could have election results, which could prevent, which could cause people to believe that there was a problem in their particular district. Um, 
uh, foreign actors or criminal actors could also target specific uh, jurisdictions where a particular voters who vote for a particular candidate would uh, show up to vote. They could disrupt that by, say, for instance, uh, disrupting the infrastructure around that, such as turning off the lights and electricity, um, which would, again, slow down people's abilities to vote. Um, and then from throughout 2019 and 20, as I mentioned earlier, as also was mentioned earlier, ransomware is really becoming a, a big issue. Um, a lot of that's now being targeted at state and local governments. And again, that could really slow down um, the time when people vote, could cause very long voting lines, um, and really um, cause people to, again, have um, no confidence in, in, the, in their government. Um, giving some of the lessons we learned from 2016 uh, as far as cybersecurity threats, we are now more broadly providing IOCs to network defenders and notifying chief state election officers whenever an incident occurs on the local election network. Um, and then in our efforts to mitigate the election crimes, such as, as voter fraud, um, all 56 of our field offices, they have an election crimes coordinator who serves as a point of contact for all election-related matters um, so they can be quickly addressed in a particular field office's uh, area of responsibility. Finally, all of our preparations take into account all the possibilities of things that could happen um, before, during, or after an election, uh, especially taking into account the current climate of our country. And the FBI and uh, I think most of the U.S. government were preparing to be able to address those scenarios um, post-election as well. Al, Al, thank you very much. Andy, if I, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, if I may, I just wanted to, to follow up on sort of the discussion. Both Al and I mentioned this, this concern about disruptions. And I, I think it is important to communicate to folks in particular uh, that there are a lot of contingencies in place uh, that election officers have to address any potential disruption. Everything at, at, at some point or, or the other in the process can go back to paper. Uh, it's a very important part of the process. It's, uh, it's mandated by law. And so that's something for folks to be aware of, uh, that even if there may be disruptions from a cyber perspective that could impact and make things slower, things like that, uh, their vote will be counted. Uh, and really, I think it's important to, to note that election officials themselves uh, have been risk managers their, their entire careers, right? There's been hurricanes, there's been, there's been tornadoes, there's been terrorist attacks on election days across the country. And they have plans in place for all of those issues. And so addressing cyber threats is almost just repurposing those existing plans uh, to, to, address the, to address that cyber concern. And I think that's a, a valuable tool to address those disruptions and other things that folks should be aware of. Yeah, I really appreciate that, Ben, and really appreciate the point on redundancy, too. It's so important to have those systems, you know, having backups, I think that's a concern some people have if systems go down or otherwise frustrated. So absolutely some great points being made there. I just want to, just want to clarify one thing. Al, Al mentioned IOCs and sharing IOCs. That stands for Indicators of Compromise. For those that aren't familiar, basically that's uh, digital forensic evidence, right? Forensic data that can be shared with network defenders to help them uh, look for concerning behavior maybe more effectively understand what happened if something does look like it's been impacted by, by adversaries. So really appreciate those points. So you both sort of touched some important topics. I want to just come back and maybe expound upon a little bit just for clarity, right? So we'll come back to you, Ben. You talked about some of the cyber threat selection infrastructure. We talked about ransomware. Um, most folks probably understand what that is. Maybe just briefly cover sort of, you know, very simply what ransomware is and how that could frustrate um, some of our election systems. But can you talk a bit more about what some of those specific types of cyber threats to that infrastructure are and beyond sort of what the threats are, what can that actually do to, to cause and frustrate our elections process? Could you kind of speak to that a little bit more? Yeah, certainly. So uh, one of the things I like to talk about when we're looking at, at, at cyber threats uh, is the systems in, in an organization or in a, in a sector. And, and certainly, as I said, I previously come from that SLTT background overall. And a lot of the conversation when the election threats first happened uh, centered around uh, how unique these systems are. Uh, and I, I sort of always like to debunk that a little bit for folks. Uh, a lot of the systems that are involved in elections are no different than the systems you use in any other enterprise environment. And a lot of them are built on commercial off-the-shelf software. Um, I was, uh, in particular, 
thinking about databases, right? Voter registration databases, it's a database. Uh, those e-poll books I mentioned, the electronic poll books, those are in many times a laptop or now an iPad, actually, that they hand you at the at the polling place to sign your signature. Uh, the voting machines themselves are, are what I like to sort of similar to a kiosk, although some of them are increasingly becoming iPads. Uh, and then uh, the counting machines are, are scanners, essentially, and the and the uh, the election night reporting websites are our websites. And so when you think about the threats to election organizations, uh, they're no different than the cyber threats to any of those other underlying systems, things that we think about uh, SQL injection. We see a lot of scanning, uh, just looking for that low hanging fruit, uh, the possibility of malware in particular, ransomware as, you, as, as we've noted already, a, a major concern uh, and uh, misconfiguration, also a concern, uh, a risk that folks are now posting things to the internet, having things against the internet, and the potential that sensitive data may be exposed. And, and certainly that is something we think about and, and look for uh, in our, our environment, trying to secure, secure these organizations. When it comes to the impacts, I think it really um, is something that I think we've covered somewhat in terms of the potential for disruption uh, in particular is a, is a major concern. Uh, the other piece, and I, I think this was really highlighted by the cybersecurity advisories uh, released by FBI and CISA over the last few days in response to the, the announced activity, uh, going to uh, use compromised information or the appearance of compromised information uh, to sow discord and influence uh, the environment as a whole uh, in terms of communicating with voters and communicating with the public. Uh, on those issues, and and so that I think, uh, in particular, it's it's all comes out of that perception issue. Uh, sure, they could disrupt an election from a cyber perspective, um, in terms of of uh, potentially uh, blocking access, for instance, to an election night reporting website, or uh, causing the connections between some of the key systems that are internet connected um, to to not be accessible. Uh, but I think the real concern more uh, and what has been proven in both 2016 and, and, and beyond is that it's all about perception and bringing that information to the fore. Uh, you don't really need to compromise anybody. You just need to make people think you would compromise them to create distrust in, in the system and concern. Uh, and so I think that is really the, the biggest threat as we move into these final days. Yeah, Ben, I really appreciate that. I want to come back uh, after throwing something over to Al here in a minute and talk about foreign, foreign influence operations and some of those concerns you were just talking about. But as you're talking through some of the, the threats you're looking at and that are out there affecting critical infrastructure, elections infrastructure, just, just for those listening to understand a little bit more about EIISAC, can you help us understand, are you, are you proactively sort of sharing concerns and helping state and local partners mitigate those threats and risks? Or are you sort of there in response standpoint so if something goes awry, you know, now or on election day, are they reaching out to you and saying, hey, Ben, help us? You know, can you just explain that relationship a little bit? Yeah, I'd say I'd say it's both. So, right. So we have we have both a, a role where we are a service provider and we have these monitoring services and we're receiving information from FBI, CISA and our other partners, uh, as well as other other folks in the elections community that are experiencing threats and pushing that out uh, and identifying where in our monitoring we might have seen that activity to notify folks so that we can further investigate. Uh, but it is also that case where uh, folks can report to us uh, and then we're helping them to identify those issues. So, so it, is, it is both uh, in, in those cases. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate that. I think it's important for everybody to understand that, you know, this isn't a fight that anyone's taking on on their own, but really, especially over the last few years, I think there's really been a lot of effort put into building this robust ecosystem to protect, defend, and respond to threats across our elections infrastructure and really appreciate everything you're doing to be a part of that and help make sure that, that works effectively. So shifting from Ben, I want to come back to you, Al. And before we get into those foreign influence operations, I just want to take a minute, you know, as you look back to 2016 and look at 2018, some of the things that are happening you know, right now in our environment, can you just take a minute and maybe discuss some of the cyber threats that are facing political organizations, you know, the, the, the campaigns, certainly our presidential campaigns, sort of these high profile ones, but other ones as well, and the candidates themselves. Not just you know to those high level ones, but beyond that, can you talk about some of those cyber threats to those organizations and individuals? So uh, 
we see various types of organizations associated with candidates being targeted by our adversaries. Um, initially, you would probably think that only the campaigns and the candidates are targeted, but our adversaries also go after other organizations as well, such as think tanks and other election security stakeholders to find out information about a candidate's policies going forward or to find damaging information which could be used to um, harm a candidate's political chances or just to blackmail a candidate. Um, Nation-state actors are, are shifting their tactics um, to organizations um, and political entities that may shift public policy and in line with the country's political goals. Um, as far as how we're seeing the access being gained, um, Typically, we see a lot of activity targeting uh, political organizations' social media accounts, such as Facebook or Twitter. I mean, a lot of times their goal is to put out information which could harm a candidate or, or looking to compromise an email account to, I mean, it could be to steal campaign strategies, whether it's from another political rival um, or publish sensitive emails in order to, to hurt a particular candidate. Um, so. These type of things are really what we see um, political candidates and organizations and how they're being targeted. I would say some of the recent activity that we've seen, um, how they're gaining access to that. Uh, one of the methods we're seeing right now is password spraying, um, attacks at politically affiliated organizations. Um, we're also seeing uh, the targeting of political campaign employees, we see targeting of their non-campaign email accounts. So instead of going after their campaign account, they go after their, their private account. A lot, sometimes people store information in their private account that maybe they shouldn't, that really should be in their public account, such as they, you know, some people may put their passwords to their campaign accounts or their, their passwords to any of the campaign systems um, in, their, in their personal accounts. And, a lot of times that can cause a lot of issues. Um, like I mentioned earlier, all the organizations associated with the candidate are really a fair game, and we'll see a variety of actors from criminal and nation-state actors looking to gain access um, through through uh, through those accounts. And a lot of times the, the way they're gaining access is really quite simple. Um, sometimes it's as simple as, as Ben mentioned earlier, misconfigured uh, accounts. They use default passwords, or people really use really simple passwords that are easy to guess. All of those are, are, are ways for bad actors to uh, gain access to candidates um, and their and their campaigns. Al, I really appreciate that. I mean, a lot of it comes down to basic cyber hygiene and best practices, right? So we're not creating that additional exposure. And I, I'm a big fan of the FBI. I think the one place I tend to disagree. Yeah, with the organization is, is on the, the point of encryption. I'm a big believer in the importance of encryption. I know that causes frustration to law enforcement. So not not going to argue that point, but I would say if, if you're working on a campaign or you're, you're involved in sensitive information, I don't know why anybody wouldn't be using uh, ProtonMail, not a sponsor. We don't have sponsors, but um, you know, ProtonMail is such a, a good resource to maintain encrypted communications and help mitigate potentiality of, of adversaries intercepting messages and compromising information. But you've a lot of really... You know, important point, and just again, the importance of basic cyber hygiene, protecting ourselves with simple best practices. Um, I was like the you know, idea of when somebody asks you, you know, what, what your password is. You know, my answer is I, I don't know because I rely on my password manager to keep all that information stored because I'm not smart enough to remember 10,000 passwords if none of them are the same. So, you know, it's some really basic things people can do and appreciate all those points. But I want to move back into the area. Hey, and one thing I really just want to highlight is, please, you know, please. I do recommend that people utilize different passwords for different websites. Um, a lot of times we see a lot of criminal actors gaining access to, you know, username and passwords for one account, and then they're utilizing that same username and password to get into other accounts. So we yeah. do advocate utilizing different email, uh, different passwords across systems. Yeah, I, yeah, great point. Password reuse is such a common problem, right? And um, again, there's other resources you can go and see where your passwords have been compromised, and you should be changing those passwords, you shouldn't be using the same password across multiple platforms, and logons. That's, that's, that's a great point. So thank you for that, Al. So um, want to come back into foreign influence operations, right? I know you know you both need to be um, more mindful of your words th than I do from your, because of your organizational identities. I want to respect that. So, so I'll say, I mean, there's definitely some, some, some adversaries out there. Sometimes they're our friends, sometimes they're our competitors, sometimes they operate 
absolutely as adversaries. Many of their countries, you know, such as Russia, Iran, and China, that are you know, very keen interested in our elections and, and want to do their best to influence those elections for their own uh, national purposes, right? So beyond them, there are many countries that are interested in our election, our leaders, how they may influence us, and candidly, how we may influence and pressure them. So let's talk a bit about foreign influence operations. So Al, could we come back to you? And could you start with me to explain a little bit about what that means? We talk foreign influence operations. What does that really even mean? And I'd like to hear from both of you a little bit about how you're looking at that concern and how we're addressing that from your respective seats. Okay. So uh, I'd say foreign influence efforts um, by Russia and China are really still our biggest challenges. It requires a lot of engagement with our partners and a whole of government approach. It means we have to work with our intel partners in the U.S. and around the world to address a lot of these threats. And we're also looking at other global threats, such as such as Iran. And you've seen some recent efforts that we've recent information that we've put out related to that. Um, but these foreign influence operations are not a new issue, right? This the method of utilizing social media and technology for that. That's really the new. Um, which has really highlighted these efforts. Soviet Union, Russia, they've been doing this for, you know, dozens of years, really since around the 1920s. Um, Russia is looking to sow discord and undermine confidence in our democracy. And China wants to shift policy towards a friendlier pro-Chinese or pro-Communist Party direction. These activities uh, involve a wide spectrum of activities, some of these are perfectly permissible, which people need to understand. And these uh, these are when a country advocates for its interests through diplomacy and overt public relations. Really, the, the key point is that they're overt um, when they're doing their influence. However, the FBI has an investigative interest when these activities are subversive, undeclared, criminal, or coercive. Since 2016, we've seen uh, a lot of these foreign adversaries use fake personas, as many of you are aware, to fabricate stories on social media in order to discredit, discredit people. Um, other influence operations um, that are not typically cyber-related um, include targeting U.S. officials um, and other U.S. persons through traditional intelligence tradecraft, really think spies. Um, criminal efforts to suppress voting and provide illegal campaign financing, or, as we mentioned earlier, cyber attacks uh, against voting infrastructure. Um, all of these are ways that uh, people can um, influence or cause influence in, in the U.S. And again, we're addressing this um, through the FITF um, and then through our election crimes coordinators. Thanks, Al. Thanks for that explanation to help understand the, the differences and the, the really valuable point, I think, that this isn't new. It's just different because everything's different. As technology changes and systems change and there's new means we can conduct, you know, age old uh, influence operations and, and you know, interest from other countries. As we, again, we have interest in theirs in different ways. So really appreciate that. And Ben, I know you're looking at this, too, you know, within EII SAC. Can you talk about what you're seeing and how you guys are looking at this from your end? Yeah, so I will say the vast majority of, of our role is limited as, as this is something that is primarily in the FBI's purview uh, in terms of foreign influence. Uh, however, I, I will note just that I, I sort of said earlier, uh, particularly for our membership and our community of election officials, their biggest concern as it relates to uh, influence and mis and disinformation surrounding the process of elections as opposed to, say, um, campaigns and who, who believes what or who said what. Uh, very much focused on that issue of of uh, identifying uh, mis or disinformation about the process of voting or the rules in a particular state uh, so that those states can get that information corrected uh, and have the social media companies uh, address them as well. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate that. Appreciate what you're doing and the way you're working with others to, to manage this and mitigate these different threats. So there's a lot we're covering. We're moving a little bit faster. There's, there's a whole lot to to address. And so before we get into election day and cyber threats to voting, media reporting, and other concerns, there's anything I just want to touch on. And I'll just say a few words before moving back towards our discussion. Obviously, we've got the ongoing pandemic. The threat is challenging and divisive enough on its own, let alone with election issues. We've heard a lot in recent weeks about various protest groups and extreme ideologies, kidnapping plots, and threats to public officials just in mean, just this week uh, with, with uh, Vice President, former Vice President Biden. 
I know some of our listeners may be thinking about those dimensions of election and individual security. We're not going to get into that today, but if you have interest there, let me point you to our free daily report, the Gate 15 Sun, which I'll have links for in the blog post. We could search for that online or get it from my LinkedIn or from our, from our website and our services page. We have a daily section there on the U.S. and election 2020, where we're, ha- where we're sharing a lot of open source updates on physical security matters, as well as cyber and health issues as they pertain to the election and more broadly. So if you have questions there or interest there, go check that out or contact our team. We can share more. Uh, there's a lot to, to understand and, and put rational context on so we're not living in a state of fear and, and anxiety that, that may be um, you know, not fully informed. So thanks. Let me say that. I want to come back to cyber threats. So gentlemen, what are you concerned about on election day and immediately after, as we look towards sort of the you know, the, the goings on after November 3rd, what are the things that are on your radar that are most concerning that you're keeping your eyes on? Al, would you like to start us off? Sure. Um, really, uh, over the past few years, we've seen actors sending spear phishing emails to state and local officials, scanning, probing, um, SQL injections, brute force login attempts, and other, you know, basic cyber threats. And I'll give you some examples of why we're concerned about those. For example, a DDoS attack could prevent users from accessing online resources such as voting information or non-official voting results. In the past, actors have falsely claimed that um, DDoS attacks have compromised the integrity of a voting system um, in order to mislead the public into believing that that attack caused a voter to not be able to cast their ballot or actually changed a a, a vote that in reality it didn't, it just limited access to a particular resource. Um, a SQL injection into a media company could enable a cyber actor to assess network systems in order to manipulate content or falsify some news reports prior to publication, or uh, an attack such as a, a defacement of a public-facing website um, could cast doubt on the security um, and legitimacy of, of the website's information. For example, a, a defacement of a state's election results could really cause people not to believe any of the results that came out of that particular website. So I think those are the type of examples and things that we're we're concerned about from a cyber perspective um, on election day and primarily immediately after the election. Yeah, thanks, Al. Some some of those I thought about. You know, I really thought about website defacement. Right? I'm just imagining some state or local page, you know, that gets taken over with some you know, announcement about the election or something along those lines. How how frustrating just countering that that story could be. So some really interesting points being made there. And Ben, I know you're looking at this too. You probably got some very similar thoughts and maybe some other ones as well. What are you looking at here for election day and, and that post-election period? Yeah, no, I think very similarly, those are the concerns we're looking at, sort of the concerns that have been, been proffered by CISA and FBI um, in some of their public communications as well. Um, disruption being being that major concern. Um, ensuring, and this is not just a matter of, of even attacks, but a matter of just interest from voters, right? We saw on Super Tuesday uh, during the primaries that a few states had some issues at the start of the day uh, with capacity. Uh, as voters sought to find out where their polling place is and things like that. Uh, and certainly, uh, while they are unofficial results, uh, as Al mentioned, uh, those election reporting websites um, in particular are a place, a resource people, people look to. And so it sort of creates, again, that perception concern if, if something like that were to become inaccessible of, well, what's going on? Why is this information not available? Uh, it's something that, that we're certainly thinking about on election day in particular. Yeah, that's a great one. And a lot of the workshops we've done over the years, not looking at elections, but various other issues um, where, where where something becomes a flashpoint for concern, the idea of that inadvertent DDoS is always a really interesting one, right? So if something flares up on, on election day and everybody's sort of going to some place to find that information, uh, it could take that web page down for a little while and not, not anybody deliberately attacking it, just the overwhelming uh, crowd movement to that site. So that's, that's a really interesting point in consideration as well. I'm sure some of our state and local partners are thinking through that and mitigations and you know, alternates and ways they can manage that flow. So some really, really interesting points there. Anything else you guys want to talk about regarding those immediate threats on election day or the period after? I think you've hit some really great points. Okay, so let no, me... I th- no, go ahead, go ahead. No, I'd say no, I, I think we've covered all of it. 
Yeah, thanks, Ben. I appreciate that. I mean, there's a lot of really interesting issues. And if anybody's listening and not familiar with those terms, again, you can reach back out to our team. You can you can search for any of those terms and find out more information about them and you can go to our resources page and find out some more as well. So I'm not sure you guys want to answer this. I'm going to ask you this question. You don't have to answer if you don't want, but I know a lot of people are asking questions about, you know, hey, I, I want to mail in my ballot. I want to go stand in queue for maybe 10 hours on election day, as we're seeing in some jurisdictions right now. Should people be worried about the safety of, of mail-in ballots and their being counted? I don't know if you can speak to that, but I'll just throw it out there. No, so uh, I do not believe so. Uh, we do not believe so. There's a lot of safety and secu uh, uh, security that goes into the mail-in voting process. Uh, the USPS in particular, the Postal Service, has a significant election mail operation. They actually have an entire division dedicated to ensuring that election mail uh, can be delivered effectively, can be transferred back to the election office effectively uh, with tools that allow the uh, voter to track it at every step along the way. I think in uh, almost all the states at this point, there is a what they call a ballot tracker that the state provides uh, and because the election mail team allows for a unique barcode for folks to be able to use for each ballot. Uh, you can track when your ballot's on its way, when your ballot has arrived, when you put it back in the mail, when it's arrived at the election office, and then even when it's been counted. And so I, I think in particular, uh, there's a lot of safeguards here in place. Uh, certainly the Postal Inspection Service takes their job very seriously in enforcing uh, the security of the mail as well. Uh, so I, I don't see any major concerns there. Ben, that, that that was great. Thank you for saying all that. As a matter of fact, just this morning, a colleague of mine in in Washington State uh, mentioned that he he'd seen his his uh his ballot go through that entire process and was very happy to see that his vote was indeed counted. So there's some really great points being shared there. Appreciate that. Um, you know, commentary for our post office friends and the confidence in the system. Al, anything you want to add? Um, I would say, you know, as the director Ray mentioned during his testimony last month, FBA has not historically seen any kind of uh, national voter fraud effort or any reason to be concerned about mail and fraud or any type of fraud, whether it's in mail or otherwise. Um, we haven't really seen that as of yet. Um, FBI is, you know, we're currently working with our partners to monitor risk to all methods of voting, whether it be early voting with um, any type of early voting system or, or via mail. And we're providing these, uh, that information to our state and local officials as soon as we identify that. Um, it's also important to remember that there are several different voting methods used across the country. Um, so if people are concerned about voting by mail, they can also you know, utilize one of the other methods to, um, to, to cast their vote. So in short, like I said earlier, I don't really see, or we FBI has not seen any uh, coordinated efforts or serious efforts related to, to voting fraud, to voting fraud, particularly by mail. Thank you, Al. Appreciate that. Appreciate comments from both of you. And I'll tell you with with work that we do and the things that we see and all that we process and digest. I think I think our team would echo those words. That, you know, we believe in our election system. We have confidence that you know ballots will be counted. There's you know always an error here or there, but uh, you know the, the vote is not going to be swayed uh, because of uh, at, you know missing ballots uh, because they were sent in by mail or or otherwise. So really appreciate that, guys. As we as we move towards our wrap up, uh, thank you very much you know for joining me and sharing your ideas. Any any words of wisdom, you know, for all of us who are going to be heading out to vote or for our election officials, they get ready for this, you know, Super Bowl event of election day and any words of wisdom you'd like to share? I'll go, um, like for election officials, I think it's imperative that they limit the availability of information about their election systems, um, and administrative processes, um, and that they secure their websites and databases as best they can. The more information that they put out there, the more information that the bad guys have to try to find vulnerabilities in those systems. Um, gotcha. We urge the, the public to look at news articles and social media posts with a critical eye. Look for trusted sources of information and use caution when, when you share information to, to avoid sending out false or disinformation and, and propaganda. Um, get your voter information from trusted sources or directly from your state and local uh, board of uh, electors. Um, just know that the FBI is ready, willing, and able to investigate any type of election fraud or any crime that they 
that you may see. Uh, we, we encourage all citizens to contact their, their local FBI field office and they can identify their field office at the FBI.gov website um, to report any type of uh, election crime they see. These calls can remain anonymous. Um, um, and if you have any information, particularly here in the Washington field office, um, our phone number is 202-278-2000. You can also look us up on, on the website again at the FBI.gov uh, website. Um, those are the, the thoughts that I'd like to share. Yeah, I'll th thank you for that. Those are all great comments, you know, especially just being mindful of sort of what we share and you know, beyond what you we've said, and even some social media companies trying to get involved in you know, mitigating some of that disinformation um, that can happen inadvertently by, you know, with, with Twitter, for example, um, you know, encouraging individuals to read before they, they, they share something and getting people to slow down when they retweet something just to give a chance to pause and, and actually process what we're seeing and make sure we're sending out the message we want to send when we, when we share that information. So appreciate those points. Ben, anything you'd like to share? Yeah, I think the, the most important thing I like to communicate to, to voters and, and citizens is that this really is a dedicated group of civil servants who, who do this work. They take their job incredibly seriously and they have taken cybersecurity in particular uh, incredibly seriously uh, as part of their job role now. Uh, it's something that uh, they've integrated into a lot of different components. Uh, and as I said previously, uh, this is what they've had to do for their job every every year. Uh, election officials all go towards one day, election day, and there's probably three or four of them throughout the year. It's not just one day a year. Um, but uh, with that, they have a lot of opportunities in place to ensure that uh, an election goes on. It's, elections don't get delayed. They, they, ha they always happen. And uh, it is something that I think is important for folks to, to recognize and understand that there is this dedicated group of, of their friends and neighbors uh, who are conducting this work. I will uh, footstomp uh, what Al said in particular about uh, being mindful of, of what you share and what you post. And in particular, um, there's gonna be a lot of noise after election day, for sure. And so uh, ignore the noise, go to your state, Secretary of State or uh, State Board of Elections, go to your clerk or your auditor or your local board of elections, uh, and and seek them out for the information that you're looking for. You know, the National Association Secretary, the National Association of Secretaries of State, uh, had what they call the Trusted Info 2020 program, uh, and I think that's something uh, that is a valuable uh, tool in 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 one's quiver to combat any of these potential concerns uh, and to ignore the noise uh, as we get past Election Day and even in the lead up to Election Day. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate that. And we'll, we'll uh, share the, the link to Trusted Info 2020 as well. Appreciate your highlighting that. So, gentlemen, a lot of great counsel there, a lot of, uh, I think, thoughtful caution there. Thank you again for your insights. More, thank you for all of your great efforts to protect our nation's election infrastructure, the integrity of our election system, and in many ways, our democracy and the peaceful conduct of elections themselves. There's certainly a lot to consider as you think about the election and the post-election day period. It's both, you know, always an exciting time, you know, for when these things come around, it's so really a great way to celebrate our democracy. There's a lot of challenges as well. So before we wrap up, any any final thoughts you'd like to just throw out there? I'll go ahead. No, I, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I, I would just say thanks, Andy, for having us. It's a pleasure to, to share with your listeners uh, the importance of election security and what's being done to, to address this threat uh, as we approach Election Day. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate that and really appreciate all that you're doing. Thanks for taking the time out to join us today and for all the good work at EIISAC and MSISAC and, and what you're doing for the community. So thank you very much. And now, all yours. I'll just say that, you know, Americans should have confidence in our voting system, in our election infrastructure. Um, the U.S. government, FBI, we're actively, you know, working to ensure the integrity of, of the upcoming election. Um, you know, we haven't seen any attempt to tamper with U.S. vote count, so people need to keep that in mind, regardless of what you may hear or see on on the news or through or via social media. Um, and then, lastly, uh, be patient um, when participating and or waiting for the outcome on the on the evening of the election. Again, we anticipate that you know we may not know the exact results of the election on on election night, but who knows? Um, and just really be prepared to wait a little bit for the results to be certified and, and passed along. 
And then last thing I want to highlight is that if you want to report any cybercrime, election-related or not, you can report this activity online at ic3.gov, or you can also reach out to your local FBI field office. And again, you can find out contact information for your local field office at um, the FBI.gov website. Well, thank you for those words. And uh, IC3 has recently had a nice facelift. If you've gone to the website recently, you might see it's changed its appearance a little bit. It's a little bit uh, easier to navigate, I think. Appreciate that resource. We look at it uh, throughout throughout the day, every day. And we'll include links to that and, and, and the local field offices as well. Gentlemen, very sincerely, thank you so much for taking time out to talk about these very important issues. I know you've got a lot to do, especially right now. Really appreciate your taking time to share with me, with each other, with those listening in. Will makes available and, and get it out there for, for folks to hear and I hopefully gain some confidence in the system that you're working so hard to protect. So really, thank you very much. And for everybody listening, thank you for listening. The Gate 15 interview is my monthly interview with fantastic guests like we've had today and from throughout our broad homeland security risk management community as we address a wide range of all hazards, topics, and issues. Please check out the other Gate 15 podcasts available in the same place you're listening to this today, that includes the Risk Roundtable, our monthly Gate 15 discussion where we explore the all hazards, threats, and risks impacting the U.S. and internationally, the Cybersecurity Evangelist with Jennifer Lynn Walker, the Cybersecurity Focus discussion with Jen and her invited guests, and Dave Pounder's Nerd Out Security Panel discussion with, I mean, honestly, a really all-star group focusing on physical security topics, including terrorism, extremism, hostile events, and other pertinent issues as well. So thank you very much, gentlemen. Thank you. Good luck in this home stretch as we look towards election day. And very sincerely, thanks for all you do every day to keep our nation a safer and more secure place. Have a great day. See you next time.